morning, guys. What's up for this episode of Find Your Film? First of all, I apologize for my voice. I'm having a little bit of a cold. But this weekend, I'm putting this out late on a Sunday morning. There are two movies that are worth checking out if you have the time this weekend or throughout the week. They're playing, they should be playing in hopefully a, a local theater near you. These movies are number one, The Monk and the Gun, directed by Pao Choining Dorji. He's the filmmaker, writer filmmaker from Lunana Iyak in the Classroom. Secondly, you have the Vim Vendors latest movie that is called Perfect Days. So The Monk and the Gun and Perfect Days are top recommendations for me this weekend. There is a link between both of these filmmakers and simply put, the they are both huge fans of Yasujiro Ozu, the Japanese filmmaker Yasujiro Ozu. Definitely for years, I actually avoided the Ozu films because my knowledge of Japanese cinema way back when, even a little bit today, was pretty basic. I would watch all just basically Akira Kurosawa movies like Seven Samurai, High and Low, Rashomon, Ron, all of the stuff that basic cinephiles like me would know and see. But whenever someone mentioned Ozu, I had no idea what they were talking about until at least several years ago, I saw this movie called Late Spring from Ozu, and I think, I don't have the IMDb with me right now, I think it's called An Autumn Afternoon, or there was another Ozu film that I saw that I loved. That said, I still haven't seen Yasujiro Ozu's supposed masterpiece, although some people really love Late Spring. Late Spring is one of my all-time favorite movies. There is an Ozu film called Tokyo Story. He's best known for that film Tokyo Story, Tokyo Story is the Find Your Film movie pick recommendation from Powo, okay, at the end of the Monk and the Gun interview. Vin Vendors did not really elaborate on Yasujiro Ozu, but he's done a movie, I believe, based on a documentary on his love for Ozu, and I'm looking it up here on IMDb. I'm trying to remember the name of the movie. I think it was called Tokyo something. Was it called Tokyo Pop or... Tokyo something. To- no, not Tokyo Pop. It's called Tokyo Ga. Tokyo Dash Ga. That was made in 1985. And it says, Moved by the work of director Yasujiro Ozu, Vim Vendors travels to Japan in search of the Tokyo scene in Ozu's films. I still have not seen this movie. Definitely want to see Tokyo Ga. Now, why am I mentioning, why am I leading off with Ozu? with these two new films, okay? Both Perfect Days and The Monk and the Gun, I'm not saying they owe a debt to Ozu, but like Ozu's movies, they are simple, nuanced, subtle filmmaking where there's not an elaborate trick of the cameras, there's not showy performances. These are movies both rooted in humanity in the day-to-day existence of the people, even though The Monk and the Gun has some fantastic, not fantastical elements, some sort of interesting, out-of-the-ordinary elements, both Perfect Days and The Monk and the Gun are rooted in humanity and simplicity and the day-to-day existence that we all share as human beings. These are the type of movies that Ozu loved to make and was passionate about making during his time as a filmmaker. This all sounds boring from an outsider's point of view. If you want action, comedy, a little bit of flash, bang to your cinema, understandable. 
But what's interesting is they, all of these filmmakers elevate the genre. They make this simple sublime. And in my opinion, each, all of these filmmakers make the day-to-day existence of our daily lives extremely immersive and all, and as watchable and as fun, in my opinion, as genre-fied films like noirs and westerns. These, maybe I'm older now, maybe I just appreciate the works of these type of movies as in my early 50s. I don't know. I hope some of you cinephiles out there who are way younger than me, most of you should be way younger than me, appreciate these simple day-to-day, quote-unquote, basic stories of human existence. That's what you're going to have here with Perfect Days. That's what you're going to have here with The Monk and the Gun. And I'm assuming Tokyo Story is great. The, I just haven't seen Tokyo Story for some reason because I even have the, the Criterion DVDs kicking away, uh, I think Blu-ray, it, it just in my collection. I, I have to get it. I, it's just one of those movies that I know I'm going to love. So I just put off that movie time and time again. Plus, Late Spring, which is Ozu's story about the close bond between a father and his daughter, and the father really wants his daughter to get married because he does not want her daughter to grow up to be uh, an old maid, quote unquote, an old maid. He doesn't want her to be lonely when he passes away. That is a premise of Late Spring, and it's a lot more entertaining than I am giving it credit for, and it's a very emotional film one of i would put late spring as a top five for me as far as movies go just an amazing amazing movie and i haven't seen tokyo spring because my in my naivete and my idealism i don't want tokyo story to be better than late spring it's a cockamamie way of delaying my viewing of tokyo story hopefully listeners would love to hear what you think if you have seen tokyo story what do you think of that movie? What do you think of Perfect Days? What do you think of The Monk and the Gun? Now, let's start off with the first interview will be The Monk and the Gun. And it centers around the year, I think, 2008. Bhutan is getting is in the face of a new democracy. And they're trying to change the, uh, the sort of the political sentiment, the political climate of the area. And you have intersecting stories of people who are affected by this change in democracy. You have a young woman who travels to a remote mountain village to try to get the people involved in the in the upcoming with democracy by staging a mock election. And she's finding it a little bit difficult to get the people to really get excited about the election this mock election and democracy. You have another uh, family who is torn apart by this democracy because they have different, different political leanings and that has led to a little bit of turmoil in this once happy family home. And then you have an American, his name is Ron, and he comes to Bhutan looking for a very priceless gun. That story may intersect with The Monk and the Gun, which is the title. You have a monk. He is under orders by his mentor, his lama, to go into the village and find two guns before this festival called the Full Moon, the Full Moon Festival, which I believe occurs 
in about two days. So he has to walk through the area within his surrounding area and knock door to door or just go in door to door or however they do it. He has to find a couple of guns to satisfy his llama. He has no idea why the llama needs these guns. He does not question his llama. But so he, you follow the journey of that monk, you follow the journey of that official, the family who are now dysfunctional because of the democracy in the village, and also you follow the civil war, a rifle hunter, um, the American looking for that civil war rifle that seems seemingly priceless, and his, and you actually see the story of his interpreter and driver as well in the monk and the gun bunch of again a bunch of intersecting stories really well done film and just as good as lunana ayak in the classroom if you love Luna, lunana if you're a fan of that movie you should be a fun you should be a fan of this movie as well the monk and the gun so check it out it's in theaters it's beautiful to look at if you have the chance to see it on the big screen you know i saw it on my ipad it's not a good way to watch the monk and the gun this is has beautiful shots of bhutan bhutan and there is a thing called the stupa, and it's that's a very interesting artifact or part of Bhutanese culture that is also displayed in this movie. Very, very well done film. We gave it a great, great review over in Cinematics. Would love to hear what you think of that movie. Here is my interview with Pao Choining Dorji, and he talks about the movie as well as his love for the Ozu film Tokyo Story. I will be back after this Powo interview with a little intro for Perfect Days. Powo, first off, I love both of your films and I'd like to know your origins as a writer. When you had the confidence to know that you could write a screenplay, you talk about the themes of innocence, it's a very big part of your artistic aesthetic, but how did you find that confidence and how did you, how were you able to make such great screenplays with these two films? Was it years in the making as far as honing your craft as a writer? Uh, thank you, Greg. Um, you know, to hear uh, a person like you say these things, it really means a lot to me. You know, um, I always tell people that I didn't go to film school, I didn't go to writing school and I took this career up because uh, of my love of storytelling. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, a large part of how I create is uh, my culture, my, my spirituality. Um, you know, yes, I'm a filmmaker, but I got into filmmaking because I love telling stories. Uh, you know, you, you might have uh, read that I'm also a photographer. I started off my career as a photographer and then I transitioned into filmmaking, writing and directing. But then at the end, the reason why I write, the reason why I make films, the reason why I take photos is because I have this deep, deep love for storytelling. And um, I think it goes, you know, back to my culture, you know, uh, in Bhutan, uh, in the Bhutanese language, Storytelling is such a fundamental, important part of who we are as the people. Yet, it's very interesting, Greg, because we don't even have a word for storytelling. And that's not because the Bhutanese culture is backward or, you know, our vocabulary doesn't have the richness to have, you know, words like that. But it is because it is so important. So in English, I'll be, Greg, tell me a story. But in my country, in my language, we will say, Greg, please untie a knot for me. 
So the act of telling a story is supposed to have that purpose of untying, of freeing and of liberating. And uh, that's the culture I grew up in. I grew up in a culture where from a young age, my grandparents, my parents, my elders, they would always tell stories with that key motivation to help untie knots, to, you know, to take me or all the other listeners to, you know, uh, to a higher place with the act of storytelling. Uh, So for me, you know, um, the way I write, I think it's to untie knots. And my own background, you know, my multicultural background, I think plays a big part in how I tell stories, yeah. how I untie knots. <laughs> regarding regarding untie, untying knots, I, I mean, I remember as a youth, I really loved neorealism, where you use non-actors in cinema, mm. in Italian cinema, they had it, and it's neorealism is a big part of cinema. It's a big part of what you do as well. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk about untying the knots with people in real life who you meet? you get inspired by their stories and their actual mm-hmm. personal stories become part of your story. How, oh, how yes, did you yes. develop that? That's amazing. I, I like that. Uh, you, um, yeah. I think, uh, as I said, I'm just such a lover of stories. And uh, I think that makes me, uh, you know, a very curious listener of stories as well. And, uh, you know, I'm always listening. I'm always meeting people. I'm always talking to them about the, about their own lives, their stories. And last time, like, you know, when I was uh, traveling around the U.S. with The Monk and the Gun, I spoke to some, you know, film schools. And I was telling the film schools that, the students, I was like, never lose that curiosity, you know, because you will never know where you will be able to encounter an amazing story. Uh, you know, for the Lunana Ayak in the classroom, uh, I was having lunch with this teacher, you know, and he he was teaching. Uh, I went to meet him because he was teaching children who, who were deaf. So he was the, he was a teacher for the uh, for the deaf. And I went to meet him for that. And he started telling me this amazing story of how he was posted in the Highlands, you know, when he was a young man. And he told me, he was like, oh, you know, we were above the tree line and, uh, you know, there was no firewood to make a fire. So every every day after school, I would have to hike up this mountain to collect yak dung because yak dung was the only source of fuel. And he said, after some time, I got so tired. So I caught the yak and I brought him down and I tied him in my classroom and I taught my class with a yak in the classroom. And then, you know, for me, the moment he said that, I was like, what? You know, like as a photographer, I was like, you know, that would look so amazing to have a yak in the classroom. And of course, he told me he didn't have a blackboard. So he wrote on the mud wall and all that, you know, suddenly it just clicked and the inspiration came uh, for the screenplay, for the film and how we could tell the story. Um, Even with, uh, you know, the monk and the gun, I think the monk and the gun, inspiration comes really from my own background you know um it was not one singular story or moment where i'm like ah ping you know this is the kind of story i want to tell um in bhutan we have a saying that one will never see their own eyelashes because you know they are so close to you but for me i was a bhutanese but yet i was considered an outsider because i grew up outside i lived outside and but then that put me in a unique position to be able to see my own eyelashes uh, studying uh, political science, uh, growing up as a diplomat's son in in you know different places around the world, I could see how uh, modernization, dem- democracy, um, all that were you know things that were so celebrated and venerated. But at the same time, you know, I, I on the other hand, I come from a culture where we were you know 
shunning away these changes, you know, trying to hold back, trying to uh, remain as we are because we wanted to protect our culture and our way of life. And, you know, at the end, change is inevitable. And I think my background put me in this position where I could see that, you know, in the pursuit of something that you thought you needed, you end up losing what you already have. You know, I, I just got to ask this question. Me and my uh, podcast partners, we we love Pam Zam so much. And we were always uh-huh. we wanted to ask you, when are we going to see more of her? She just seems like a nat- <laughs> like oh, so many of, of your non-actors. They seem so mm. natural. But, mm. you know, what was it like getting all that accolades for her performance as well? Oh, it was amazing. You know, when, when I first wrote the script out and I sent it to my cinematographer, he looked at me and he said, Pao, you will not find this girl in the whole of, forget about in Lunana where there's like five kids, but in the whole of Bhutan, you might have to bring her from outside. Uh, but we went to Bhutan and we discovered her there, you know. And uh, for me, oh, what, what, what I tried to do with her is I wanted to protect her. You know, I, you know, she was someone who has never seen the outside world. Forget about acting in films. She's never even seen a light bulb. That scene where, uh, you know, she's brush- brushing her teeth was the first time she ever put, you know, had tasted toothpaste. Um, so for me, I, 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 I wanted to make this film in a way I protected who she was. So uh, after we casted her, the screenplay went through a lot of phases where instead of me trying to force her to be another character, I was actually molding the screenplay around her own life. So she was just telling her own story. Uh, through getting to know her, I realized her father was a drunk. She didn't have a mother. She was being looked after by her grandmother. So I tried to incorporate that, you know, in in in, in the story. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, some film, uh, you know, critics also asked me, how what do you do to help your non-professional actors? And, you know, I say that, you know, I try to shoot in a linear fashion so that they then, that the characters can grow with the story. And with uh, A Yak in the Classroom, you know, we shot in a linear fashion. And at the, at the end, it was that scene where she says goodbye to the teacher. And, you know, she actually cried in that scene. It, it was so touching. And for me uh, and for everyone involved with the film, you know, oh, that was the moment that Temzam was saying goodbye, not only to the teacher, but to us, you know, to this family, to these friends that she had made who had spent two months with her, you know, uh, being there with her. And she, she knew that that was the moment she would be saying bye to us. So she started crying. Um, but I'm happy to share, you know, with you and um uh, your your followers that uh, Pemzam and I we are still very connected. Uh, it, after the completion of the film, it was uh, you know a priority for me to help her. Uh, you know because she became like kind of like the ambassador of Bhutan, cinematic ambassador of Bhutan to the rest of the world. And I knew that if she continued in Lunana, she would probably end up dropping out of school, middle school, because there is no high school there. Uh, she would probably end up getting married by the time she was 18 and becoming a yak herder. And she had so much potential. So, you know, um, uh, at first her father was reluctant to let her go, but we were able to arrange something. And through her own merit, now she's studying in the most prestigious boarding school in Bhutan, uh, the Royal Academy, which is an uh, initiative started by the King of Bhutan. And, you know, she got scholarships there. She's studying there. Um, I'm kind of assigned as one of her guardians. Uh, we are in touch. So it's amazing. Last question, right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all-time favorite movies? And you mentioned how much you love Corita as well, but what's one of your all-time favorite movies and why is it so special uh, for you? Ozu's Tokyo Story. Um, I think uh, it's one of the most authentic stories, human stories, you know, uh, there is. In such a simple way, it teaches us so much. And it's timeless, you know, it's timeless. It, it, it touches upon 
authentic human values, human stories that, uh, you know, you, you can travel the world, you know, it's a Japanese story about family loss, but then, you know, you can travel the world, you can travel to any part of the world. And, you know, there are people in Europe, in America, in, in Africa, in, you know, and everyone, they see their own values in that story. And I think at the end, that is what film is. Film is a mirror upon which our own stories are reflected upon. Thank you so much for your time. I really love The Monk and the Gun. And again, I'm looking forward to talking to you, to you for the next one. Thank you so much, Greg. Hey guys, I'm back. Here is my interview interview with Vim Vendors and Takuma Takasaki. Takuma Takasaki and Vim Vendors, they wrote the script for Perfect Days. Vim Vendors is the director and it centers here. I'm looking at the IMDb summary. Quote, a janitor in Japan drives between jobs listening to rock music. That janitor is played by Koji Yakusho. Koji is this person. His name is Hirayama. And Hirayama is a very simple man. And he is a janitor. He cleans toilets throughout the day. And he's the he's a very good worker. He loves his job. He loves driving into work. He just enjoys his life, even though he lives a very simple and solitary existence. He doesn't really talk too much. He does not engage with a lot of people unless they engage with him. He just takes, he lives in the present. And it's a very interesting, wonderful character. By the end of the movie, you will be, hopefully you'll be loving the character of Hiroyama. As far as driving around listening to rock music, yeah, if you have Spotify, or I don't know if they have it on Apple Music, but on Spotify, just search for Perfect Day Soundtrack, and that it, it'll give you a bunch of great songs that are featured in this movie. And I reference one of those songs at the beginning of the interview. It's from a Japanese artist who's part of that Perfect Day's playlist. Okay, so check it out on Spotify. I don't even know if a soundtrack is out via vinyl or CD as of yet. They should put one out. Yeah, it's a very interesting interview with vendors and Takasaki. And I, I do mention a Yasujiro Ozu reference in the interview as well. Now, I did not get towards the end if I don't. Yeah, I, I didn't get to ask them about their favorite movies. But I mean, Vin Vendors has what you know, you have Buena Vista Social Club, you have Wings of Desire, Far Away So Close, Paris, Texas, Alice in the Cities. There are so the, I think did he do the end of violence? There's so many different type of movies that you can really get into as far as Vim Vendors' work. Pina, I haven't even seen that. I loved what is that movie that he did about um about that photographer, Salt of the Earth. He's done so many amazing films. Perfect Days is right up there as among his strongest films. By the way, I still haven't seen Paris, Texas. But Perfect Days is a very simple movie. Again, that does not mean it's boring. You really get into the day-to-day nooks and crannies of Hiroyama's life. I mentioned in the interview his love for lemon sours. You see him drinking a lot of these lemon sours as he goes to his favorite local bar or eatery. He drinks lemon sours left and right. But he's not an alcoholic. He just enjoys a lem- one, a light, like one or two lemon sours in between breaks of his job. And you get to see his co-worker and his affinity with his niece towards the middle of the movie. There's some really great stuff to be had in Perfect Days. If you are not familiar with the work of Vim Vendors, this will be a good starting point as far as actually seeing his love for 
the films of Yasujiro Ozu, but also putting his own spin into an outsider's point of view of Japanese culture with the help of a Japanese writer, which is really good. You have that level of authenticity with Perfect Days. It's very moving, very resonant. The ending is yeah, pretty, in my opinion, in a sublime form, operatic because of what happens to Hirayama as far as enjoying that perfect day. It's beautiful. And yeah, here's my interview with Vim Vendors and Takuma Takasaki. Thank you so much for listening to these interviews over at the Find Your Film Podcast. And take care. All right, bye. Got it. Okay, great. Uh, good to see you again. I last interview you, interviewed you then for Salt of the Earth. So pleasure to uh, interview you again. Um, Thank you. So let's go into your deepest dreams. Yes, definitely, definitely. Then, um, just and Takuma, just very quickly, Sachiko Kanenobu, can you tell me about this singer? She plays a very important part in your film in one of the road sequences. Why did you guys, amazing. Can you just talk about her? I felt with all the... British and American music in there, we needed a Japanese voice. And I said, I remember there was this girl and she was like the Japanese Johnny Mitchell. Yeah. And saying that, Takuma went into action and before we knew it, we were in touch with her. She lives in California, by the way. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, she lives in California yeah. and and... The hardest thing after we got in touch with her was to choose because the album is so full of gems. And in the end, we put, we took Bluefish, which is the translation of the song. And I now have it as a single and it's in my jukebox. <laughs> That's amazing. It, you know, I, I love Hiroyama's life and... I, I've never had a lemon sour before. Can you talk about just that distinct? I believe it's a lemon sour distinct. Is that what he drinks or, no, or is it just water? What does he drink throughout the movie that I think it's really interesting that adds texture to his character? It's a highball. Sochu highball. Sochu is not, is potato, but it's it's a little bit like, like sake, but made from potato. It's a clear, very healthy drink. Cheap. It's the cheapest drink to get drunk in Japan. It's a working class, yeah. and you can drink it pure or with water, and he prefers his as a long drink. Well, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. you know, Vim, you're talk, talk, you were talking about shooting this movie handheld, but can you just talk about that creative decision? Because me as the viewer, as a cinephile, we're not noticing the handheld stuff in the film, but what was the creative decision behind going handheld for the movie? It was to be, first of all, in order to be fast. And France, my DOP, is known as the living tripod. And he can do a shot. <laughs> he can do a shot handhold, but it's actually in his hand. And that allows us to move positions very, very quickly. And actually, as Hirayama is living a life with reduced means, we thought we should better adapt adopt this for our own method. And we made a film with reduced means. We had no tracks, we had no gimbal, no Steadicam, no crane. We just had our DOP holding the camera. And that allowed us to shoot at the... Uh, 
speed, the the <laughs> the regular speed we were shooting, we did we did 50, 60 setups a day, and we could not have done it if we had used traditional means and tracks and all of that. France was our one man camera unit and he shot everything from his hand. There's a scene where the niece asks her uncle about, I think, about the water flowing into the ocean and uh, next time is next time and, and now is now. And it reminded me of some of the final moments in late spring. And Vim, you were talking about how, you know, uh, Ozu is your spiritual master, but Takuma, I want both of you to talk about how important is Ozu in both of your lives, not just when you were younger and hungry artists, but now, now I'm sure Ozu has even more power because his stories are all about humanity and the importance of living. So it must resonate with both of you even more powerfully now. ビムとビムと一緒に映画を作るまで、あのほぼ歴史上の偉大な監督っていう意識で、でビムと一緒に映画を作ることによってものすごく大人の存在を近く感じる。So up until so up until working with them on this film. Ozu had only been really this historical figure, a great figure, a film director, but really just a historical figure. And I didn't feel that closeness until this project that I've worked with them on. And now I feel even closer and there's a relationship I think that has developed for me. This dialogue is really gorgeous. And we had another another version of the scene before and we were both not quite happy. And then I sort of, we sort of dis, dis, dis decided the night before that he was going to give it another try. And the next morning he came up with this dialogue and I was so happy. And he he's amazing. He writes dialogue like other people write down diary notes. So you tell him, do you think we can work on this again? And do you think it could be a little bit more in that direction? That, And then he thinks and says tomorrow, and the next day you have exactly what you were dreaming of. So this dialogue is Takuma, and Takuma and I, we are a dream team, Um, (laughs) like from your deepest dreams. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, so... I, I, I'm just wondering about this movie. It's a very uplifting movie, but there's also the theme a little bit about analog versus digital film, and, you know, cameras versus digital. Can you talk about that other theme in Perfect Days? Which, Or maybe I'm really uh, overanalyzing it because I think it really brought me back to the power of cassettes, the power of a camera. Do you see some value, Vim and Takuma, about the tangible stuff that we grew up on as opposed to this technology now? which is still very useful, of course. Maybe while I translate it, Takuma gives his answer to the translator, so we don't have to wait. So you give your answer, or you tell, and I disappear in this corner, and I try to I try to answer it already while they murmur. Um, initially, it 
wasn't about that. And when we thought of the character, it's only while we were writing the story that we realized, well, he has this crummy old car, and in that car, well, if he wants to listen to music, it would be, have to be the old cassette recorder. This car is from the 80s. It didn't have anything but a cassette recorder. And then we loved the idea of cassettes, and before we knew it, they were an integral part of his life, and he had kept his cassettes from when he was young, from the 70s. And so one thing came to another, and it's not... We didn't want to make this pamphlet in defense of analog technology. But the more we thought about it and the more we wrote and worked on the film, the more Hirayama became this hero of the analog age. And the more also all these young kids, these cool young kids that he meets, realize, wow, this old guy, he's pretty cool after all Yeah, with his cassettes. <laughs> Sorry,、he、didn't give his answer to me yet, but he knows the question. I know. 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 And so I think that was definitely something that I, that was in our minds. And then the most important thing that, as you can probably see, is that there's no sign of connection to the internet through his eyes. He's very detached in that way. Okay.、Uh, yep. And, uh, and uh, therefore, he has time to read, <laughs> time to. Take his pictures and time to clean his apartment himself and time to listen to his own music. He has time for everything he wants to do. And we all lost that ability to have time for stuff. And that's one of the reasons the film is so catching on to people because they realize hey, there is a different way to use your time. And what is what's keeping us from being masters of our own time? Anyway. Anyway,、uh, then my, my final question to you is just a general question. Just what, what keeps you motivated as a filmmaker? Is your past friendships with you know, Nicholas Ray and Samuel Fuller and, and, your, you, you know, and your love for Ozu, are these very influential parts that keep you going on as a filmmaker? and Keeping yourself hungry as an artist, along with your own hard work and craft over the years. History is the history of cinema is an incredibly rich source of inspiration. And it's not like every movie has to invent filmmaking from scratch. Although it is good if you feel like you're inventing it from scratch, it's good for. Making a movie is the idea that you do something for the first time. And that very feeling I learned from my old friends, from, for example, from Sam Fuller or, or Nicholas Ray, that's the spirit in which they made their films. They never relied on experience, they always relied on that a film has to find its own language. And that is my total conviction that as, as soon as you know how to do something, It doesn't give you 
a license to do whatever you want to do then in that matter every film has to find how he wants to tell his story and perfect days was a complete reinvention of everything i've ever done and i've never made a movie like this i never wrote a script where the the routine of a man basically was the bone of the script and it was so helpful to have that routine for us to write the script we wrote the script in four weeks because we had something so solid to begin with which was a man with a routine Thank you guys so much for your time. And my only wish is I hope both of you work together again very, very soon. So, well, you're, I think we have plans. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, oh, yeah, Greg. definitely. But thank you. Thank you.